Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders, and miraculous signs were done by those apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who has had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nice. Let's, uh, let's pray together. And if, yeah, if you have a Bible, open it up to Acts 2. So we'll, be, we'll, we'll, we'll hang out there this morning. And um, yeah, let's ask God to, to bless our time. God, thank you so much for your goodness. And um, I, I don't know, Lord, maybe uh, this morning the alert is a good word for us, um, that we would be alert and that we would hear what you want us to hear today, um, that every Sunday when we gather together like this, that... Um, Maybe you're just shouting to us from your word or whispering to our hearts what we need to hear, and God, that we would just pay attention and that we would listen to you. And um, God, today I pray that we all together, me included, um, that we would just, God, hear how you want your church to be, what you want your church to look like, how you would have us live in this world. Um, with each other for your glory and for the good of those who don't yet know you too. And that we would, by our, by our actions, by our love, by our service, that we would be witnesses and a testimony to your goodness and grace. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, Acts chapter 2, um, that passage that Scott read, we're going we're gonna to hang out in today. So we've been in this series for a few weeks now called Doubt and Deconstruction. And um, the idea of these four weeks, we've done two and we have today and next week. Um, the idea of these four weeks is really just as I was thinking about this several weeks ago was, man, I just wanted us to kind of have a conversation together about some of the, the reasons that um, people have begun to deconstruct, like we hear this word deconstruction a lot. If you haven't kind of been paying attention to church world in the last few years, you probably, if you haven't been paying attention, you may not have heard that. But if you have, and you've kind of maybe even know some people who use that word or have said that word, and what that word just means is just simply kind of digging into what I believe and why I believe it and thinking about the things that, um, you know, I've always thought or known, thought I knew or whatever. And oftentimes it is people who grew up in the church. It's people who were Christians kind of all their lives who then say, okay, I went through this period of of deconstruction, of just kind of asking why. Why do I believe this? Why, well, you know, I've always kind of thought that this was true or said that this was true or people told me that this was true, but I never really thought about it for myself. And so they dig into that, and that's okay. I think that's a good thing, actually, sometimes to look into what we believe and why we believe it and ask those hard questions. Um, hopefully, though, hopefully we do that, and this was really two weeks ago, hopefully we do that with God's Word, allowing God's Word to inform what we think and what we believe and really... Um, looking at how this really does hold up under scrutiny, what God's Word says, but also um, prayerfully and humbly 
asking those questions, right? Not just with arrogance, thinking that I know everything or that um, really anybody else other than God knows all the answers to everything. And even last week as Dr. Posey got up here and shared about the problem of evil, and I know for some of y'all that was like the best thing ever, and for some of y'all that was like, that was way over my head and I don't care about all that stuff or whatever. But listen, those are things that people are asking about. Those are questions people have. And these are, that, that's the reason, um, because people are asking these kinds of questions, that I wanted to just take a few weeks here to ask those questions with you guys and see if maybe God's Word has a way of informing us on some of these things too. And today what we're going to do, and in, in really today and next week, is we're shifting a little bit from a little bit less apologetic um, approach to a little bit more of just looking at us as a church and just asking, who are we? What are we doing? Why do we do it? Are we being the church that God has called us to be? Because here's the reality. Um, One of the main reasons that doubt and deconstruction is happening or has happened, or even if you go beyond deconstruction to deconversion, which is where people actually leave the faith, one of the main reasons that thing, those kinds of things happened is that um, people just stop trusting the church. People just look at the church and the church doesn't look like what maybe the Bible says it should look like. And so when they see that, they just go, you know what, I'm wiping my hands with this, and, and I'm, I'm leaving. Uh, Pew Research data from 2019 showed that 35% of U.S. adults have little or no trust of other people in general, right? And then that has kind of led to this over the last uh, 30 years or so, or really more than that, the 70s, I always feel like that was 30 years ago. That's like 50 years ago now. Um, I know, you know what I'm saying? That's weird. Um, from 1975 to 2022, that is Americans' confidence in the church specifically. Um, this, is a, this is research that the Gallup poll does every single year. They've done it since 1975. And 68% of Americans in 1975 said, I, I pretty well have confidence in the church. Um, last year, that number was 31%. And there are reasons for that. And I don't know all the reasons for that. Um, but there are reasons that people are, in general, kind of looking at the church. And by the way, institutions in general, like whether it's the government or hospitals or you know, like all sorts of institutions, people are looking at institutions these days, especially since COVID, y'all know what I mean, about like, I don't trust institutions. I don't trust any organization right? And the church being one of those, and maybe it's a little bit of collateral damage even, but people are looking at the church going, you know what? When I see a a body of people with leadership and, you know, people who are supposed to be one thing, but maybe don't always look like the thing that I thought they should look like, maybe, maybe I'm just losing confidence in them. And that's not necessarily, um, you know, for us to, you know, lose sleep over necessarily, but it's just something I wanted us to see because it's just true, right, um, that people in general in our country are losing confidence in the church. Um, Lifeway did a, did, a, did a poll as well, and it said that only 27% of 18 to 54-year-olds, which is probably the bulk of us in this room, 18 to 54-year-olds, only 27% expressed trust in the church these days, um, about 27% of people. Um, and as of 2021, less than 50% of U.S. adults are members of a church. So less than half of our country even goes to church um, anymore. Um, and less and less as the generation, so the demographics as the generations are younger and younger. So like the older generations go to church more frequently and the younger generations are going to church less frequently. And to me, that's not Okay. Because what that means is as we move forward in the years and in the generations, we are losing people more and more, and especially young people. We're losing them. The church is. And that's on us. 
that the, the mission has not changed from what Jesus told his disciples to do 2,000 years ago. Go make more disciples. Go be the witnesses of Jesus. And then live out this commission that I've given you and this love that I've called you to, to all people and sharing the word of God and the, the heart of God with the world. That has not changed. And yet we're losing generation by generation. And so maybe it's time, church, for us to see these things and just call them what they are. Stop burying our head in the sand and just go, okay, what can we then do to change that data? To at least let people see that the church is a good thing, a beautiful thing by God's design, and that it's actually beneficial to the world that we live in, at least it should be, and not detrimental. And so this week and next week, we're going to talk about, so this week is a little bit more inward focused. We're going to talk about who we are as a church, what the church should look like. Next week's going to be a little bit more about how do we treat people who don't go to church, okay? This week's a little bit more about the church. Next week's a little bit more about the world and how we live in the world and treat people who don't actually go to church. So a Barna study in 2023 showed this. Here's why people are leaving the church. Actually, uh, Evan mentioned this poll last week, um, and I, I thought that was so interesting. So in 2023, Barna did a poll. Here's the five reasons why people are leaving the church. People are deconstructing and deconverting or just stepping out of church altogether. Five Top five reasons. Number one, irrelevance, hypocrisy, and moral failure. That's number one. Basically, they see people in the church who aren't being the church who aren't living the kinds of lives that Jesus is calling us to live. By the way, when I, when I say these things, I want y'all not to hear like anybody pointing fingers at you. I'm just kind of here. You know, I want you to hear like me kind of just going, this is us together, right? Me too. We as a church maybe are not showing people the heart of Jesus. That's really the number one reason. Number two, they say God is missing from the church. And that's sad, right? Number three, legitimate doubt is prohibited in the church which is why we're doing this series. Hopefully that's not true of us, that we can at least say, hey, let's, if we're going to doubt, let's doubt together and let's dig into the word of God and see what the answers are. But people leave the church because legitimate doubt is prohibited, they say. Number four, they're not learning about God in the church. They go to church and they get pepped up, get a good pep talk, and they don't hear much about the true gospel and Jesus and, and God. And number five, the reason people say they're not going to church anymore is because they're not finding community. Uh, Francis Chan used to tell a story. I've seen um, him tell this story about um, a church that he was being a pastor of, and there was a kid who started coming to church who was a member of a local gang, right? And he had started coming to church, became a Christian, got baptized, and was part of the church family. And eventually, over the course of the, the next few weeks and months, he left the church again. And when Francis Chan talked to him about that, he's like, man, what, what happened? You know, you, you came in, you got baptized, you found Jesus, and then you went back to the gang life. And he said, to be honest with you, there was more community in my gang, and those people have my back, and they love me, and they take care of me, and I didn't find that at church. That is sad, and that is one of the top five reasons. And so when I was thinking about that list right there, those five reasons, man, I just thought about this passage in Acts chapter 2, because I think that passage right there has the prescription to all five of those reasons. It, exactly as you walk through this passage, you're going to see if the church is being the church, when the church actually is the church, those five reasons don't exist for people. The hypocrisy and the irrelevance and that God is missing and that doubt is prohibited and that people aren't learning about God and there's no community, 
Those five reasons go away if the church looks like the church that we are seeing in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is, if you know um, your Bible a little bit, the book of Acts is sort of the birth of the church, right? So Jesus dies on the cross, he rises from the dead, and then he sends his disciples out to go and make more disciples, to share the gospel, to be his witnesses. And they do that in the book of Acts. And so in Acts chapter 2, we have the very beginning, sort of the, the, the little seed planted of the very beginnings of the church. And we see, as, as Scott just read, 3,000 people become Christians in one day. And then those Christians in Jerusalem, they begin to build a community together as the church in Jerusalem. And then that community, as we read through Acts, it begins to spread out. But here's the, here's the description of what that church looked like. I'm going to read it again, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many miraculous wonders and signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so I want to just share from that little passage four things that are happening in this passage clearly when the church is being the church. And that's us today. I want us to hear this today. When we, the church, are the church that God's calling us to be, these four things will happen, I believe, based on what we see in this passage. Number one, when the church is being the church, God's, God's heart is displayed. God's heart is seen in the church, the heart of God, what God cares about, and the way that God loves people, it's seen in the church itself. Look again at verse 46, where it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They ate and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with what? Glad and sincere hearts. Glad and sincere hearts. That was the heartbeat of the church. It was glad, it was sincere. There was joy in the Lord. Because they knew what Jesus had done for them, that he had died on the cross for their sins, that he had risen again from the dead. They had heard the gospel. They believed the gospel. It had changed them from the inside out. And the Holy Spirit had filled them up to live now with power and joy and hope and freedom from sin. And they did that together. And it said they had glad and sincere hearts, that their hearts were transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Has your heart been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ to a place to where your heart is glad and sincere? That word sincere uh, literally means without stones, right? It's like soil that has no stones in it. It's pure. It's unencumbered. It's not broken up by anything, right? I was reading Psalm 14, actually, just this morning. It talked about people who are wicked, who have double hearts, double-hearted, right? They have like two intentions all the time. That, that's exactly the opposite of what it's saying about the church here, that the church is not hypocritical, right? What was the number one reason people are leaving the church? Hypocritical, immoral. There, there's stones everywhere, right? And it said, man, no, the real church, the true church, who is glad and sincere in Jesus, man, the stones are gone, and there's just pure motives and pure hearts and this is, I would say, probably most church hurt comes right here. It comes from people, both pastors and church members. And listen, I am not, again, point fingers throwing stones at anybody in here. I'm just saying, I think most church hurt comes from people in the church not being glad and sincere in heart, but instead being judgmental 
or hypocritical, being double-minded, double-hearted. Let's start there, maybe, right? Like, just let our hearts be glad in Jesus and sincere in Christ and understand that you, every bit as much as the people around you or beside you or the people that you look at sometimes and think or judge in your heart or in your mind, that you need grace every bit as much as they do. I need grace every bit as much as anybody in this room, and so do you. And the moment we forget that is the moment we start to get judgmental of others. Looking at them and thinking about the way that they look or what they've done or how they dress or where they're from. And forgetting that without the grace of Jesus, we're all dead in sin. And so glad and sincere hearts, that's the beginning of it. Number two, when the church is being the church, God's word is known. Right? People were saying that one of the main reasons people are leaving the church is because they don't find God there and God isn't taught there and doubt isn't allowed. They're like, they're not digging into the word there. But what were these people doing? Look at, look at verse 42. It said, they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Like these people were doing it together. They were digging in together. The apostles were commissioned by Jesus specifically to write down scripture. That's Paul and Peter and John and Matthew and all these, like they're writing scripture. They're telling the stories of Jesus and they were in charge of teaching the early church who Jesus was and what he did and all these. And these people, as they became Christians, like all they knew at first was he died for my sins. He rose from the dead. I believe that. And now they're like sitting down at the apostles' feet just going, teach me about Jesus. I want to learn him. I want to know him and I want to learn how to live my life. That's what we do when we gather together. Listen, I'm not an apostle. That's not what I'm doing, but I'm reading the apostles' words, right? And that's what every Sunday we can gather together and just sit together and go, man, look at what the word says. Look at what the truth is. Let's dig into this together so that we can learn who Jesus was. We can learn how we live our lives. We're devoted. Are we devoted to this? Church, if we're not, then we're just a country club. If we're not devoted to this, that's what's unique about us, right? That we're devoted to the word of God and to prayer. That's different than the world. I will tell you this. And I've seen church do this over the years. I think we have struggled with this at times, even. If I'm being honest, okay? That the church sometimes wants to sort of pull things out of the world that, that we think are good and kind of attractive to people and put them in here. And act like that's what's going to bring people to Christ. But the reality is, y'all, we are not going to out-entertain the world. The world's going to entertain the world's going to do what they're going to do. But we have something they don't have. We have this, and we have prayer, and we have the Holy Spirit, right? Like we have what they will never have. And that's what the power is. This is what the strength is. This is the truth. And we're going to sit in it, and we're going to listen to it. I'm going to do what it says, hopefully. I'm going to go live it out. And we're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Number three, when the church is being the church... God's heart is displayed, God's word is known, and God's grace is shared. God's grace is shared when the church is being the church. Um, as you read through this passage, let's read verses 44 and 45. Listen to like the communal language here. Listen to the communal language. Verse 44. All the believers, all the believers, plural, were together, there's a word, and had everything, there's a word, in common, right? Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone, there's a word, as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together 
with glad and sincere hearts. Do you hear that? That the word, the, the word together, the word community, the word fellowship, it's the word koinonia in Greek. Uh, you've probably heard that word before. It just means like this, this idea of a body, a people being together, sharing everything in need, having commonality and solidarity and responsibility shared amongst households and individuals. It's this idea that we are we. It's not me, it's we, right? Like that's the idea of the church, that we are one people. And this is a miracle, by the way, because it said, how many people became Christians? 3,000 in one day. Most of them from out of town, right? Like a lot of them from all over the place. And they were now together, like living life together. People that didn't even really know each other before were probably like, as the, the folks who were from out of town, like those who lived in Jerusalem, were like, come on into my house. You need anything? You need some clothes? You need some food? You need a place to lay your head? Come in hospitality, it defined the early church. The koinonia, having everything in common. It said everyone, it said all, it said shared, common, anyone, together. This, this church, it's about togetherness. They met each other's needs. They ate together. God's people eat together. Did y'all know that? Let's, let's be that church. The church is described in the New Testament as a body, 1 Corinthians 12, the house of God, Ephesians 2, a priesthood, 1 Peter 2, a family, Ephesians 3, a new people group, nation, kingdom, Ephesians 2. All of these point to the unified nature of a community, a people. The church is not a place, it's a people. The church is not just a program, it's a family. The church is not a service where we just attend, it's a community where we belong. That's what the church is. That's why I've been doing, doing youth ministry for many years. I got to see this a lot with, honestly, the best parts of, of youth ministry. We do a lot of events. We do a lot of programs. They're going to CIY today, and that's a big, that's a big fun kind of program event. The reality is, you know what the best parts of youth ministry are? It's like van rides. You know what I mean? It's El Charo. It's, man, just playing Frisbee together and hanging out and getting to know each other. You know, like, we pay you for this crap. Um, but no, seriously, it's getting to know each other so that you can do life together in Christ. I think we forget that sometimes as a church. And here's what happens when we forget that. Sometimes we kind of miss the point, right? And the church stops looking like a body, stops looking like a family, stops looking like a community, and it starts to look like a place where we just go to eat, like a restaurant, or a place where we just go to get entertained, like a concert or a movie theater. Do you come into church with the same mindset you walk into a movie theater with? I'm here. What you got? I'll get my popcorn, my bread and butter, you know? just sit and enjoy. And the sad thing is, when that happens, two things happen. One, we elevate the person up here to a position that they don't need to be in as like the sole authority, the one who just hand feeds you, spoon feeds you every week to give you the sustenance to get through the rest of the week. We elevate that person or that group of people 
to a place where the whole thing rises and falls on them. And the other thing that happens is that if we're not one of these people on this stage, maybe we become selfish and we expect that ourselves. And it becomes a little bit of just what do you have for me today? And we become consumers, not contributors in the church. And again, listen, I, I, I've been in church my whole life, so I've been on every side of this. And I know the struggle and the temptation for this, but when church becomes self-centered, when church becomes all about me, it's about my musical preferences. It's about did I like the message today? It's about my seat that I sit in. It's about my standards of how to act or how to talk or how to dress. We pick up that connect card and it becomes a complaint card. It happens. If you find yourself writing complaints on that card, you're doing it wrong. Because we forget that we're a family. We can do life together. We can talk to each other. We should share all things in common. If we get to a place where we're just being critical and we're not being helpful, then we're just being sinful. And we see all the holes, we see everything that's wrong, but we aren't willing to lend a hand. We aren't willing to step up. We aren't willing to serve. We aren't willing to meet a need ourselves. That's, that doesn't help. And that's why the younger generations are running out the door. Because they see it. And they see right through it. And that's not a family. And I'm not saying that's what we do here. I'm just saying that's always a temptation, right? Can, is that okay? Just to lift that truth up and go, look, let's, let's fight against this life. The life of just consumerism. The life of entertainment. And just understand that when we gather together, we are the church, family, community, body together. And we all have a part to play here. All of us, not just me and Scott or whoever. All of us are the church. Ephesians 4 gives us the prescription of this, that the pastors, you know what my job is? To equip the saints for the works of ministry. That's my job. Not to do it for you, to equip you, help you, and teach you just so that we can then go do it together. The ministry of the word of God, that y'all are ministers of the gospel. Y'all are saints in Christ Jesus. Not just some people. And the church is a, is a body. It's not an audience. Audiences spectate. Families participate. That's the church. That's what we're supposed to be. And number four, when the church is being the church, God's power is experienced. God's power is experienced. Look what it says, verse 43 through 45. It said, everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles and all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Verse 47, it says, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily 
those who are being saved. Do you hear the power of God in the midst of this community? Right? As they were just together, devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, breaking bread and eating together, enjoying fellowship together, meeting needs together. When's the last time, church, you asked someone in here, do you need anything? Can I help you? And listen, if you do need something, put it on that connect. That's what it's for. Again, not complaints. Put what you need on there so that we can do something about it. Be, by the way, be in a group of smaller people who also know your needs, who can pray with you and serve you and help you. And if you have surgery, can make meals for you. If you need plumbing, I heard this story this week. You need plumbing, they get a plumber for you. It happens. I've seen people in here get cars from people in here and get food and get help and have yard work done. I've seen it happen over and over again. That's what the church is. It's how can I serve you? How can I pray for you? How can I meet a need? And if you hear about it, guess what? You then do it or you find someone to do it. You do what you can to meet those needs. That's the power of God. That's a miracle. I know we all want the other kinds of miracles where people are getting healed, and I've seen that too. And things are happening that are just miraculous and unexplainable, but sometimes the miracle is just the people of God being unified together. That's a crazy miracle. When we love each other with one heart and one mind, serving and giving and helping, it's a miracle, y'all. Because God's power and provision are best experienced with God's people. God's power and God's provision are best experienced with God's people. That's true. Yeah, God can do, and he sometimes does, do things individually apart from God's people and whatever. God works in people's lives in all sorts of ways, but when we gather together and we commit to the people of God, being the people of God, the family of God, we will see God work exponentially more in that. He's, it's how he's always done it. And some of you can testify to that, right? If you have seen God's people be God's people for you in a time of need, would you say amen? amen? Awesome. Listen, let's keep that going. And what did it say at the end of that passage? As they were doing these things, right? As they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, as they were meeting together, as they were breaking bread together, as they were meeting each other's needs, as they were giving of themselves and sacrificing and serving and loving, what was God doing? He was bringing more in. He was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Again, miracle that God is saving people, drawing people to himself. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The, well, you think about Jesus, John 13, 35, where he says, the world's gonna know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. That's what he said. The world will know you're my disciples, not the way you love them, the way you love these people. That's how they're going to know. And if we would get that right, man, the dominoes would just start falling in place. We'd be a lot better at reaching them if we would love each other. We'd be a lot better at it because you know why? Nobody wants to show up at church and find this dysfunctional family. Because even if you invite somebody to come in, they come in and then they see this mess and they just go, peace out. I don't want any part of that. But if they come in, if they come in and they just see people meeting each other's needs, loving one another, praying for one another, serving one another, singing together, having glad and sincere hearts, they're going to go, they got something I want. 
I want to be part of that. And then we get to go, it's Jesus, right? We actually get to share that truth with them. And sometimes we don't even get to share the truth before they head out the door because they're not seeing it. Let's show it to them. Let's just be, it's pretty simple, right? None of this is rocket science, but man, let's be the church that God has called us to be. Uh, the band's going to come back out, and we're going to sing another song this morning. And today, again, my, my whole goal this morning is just that we would kind of set our eyes on that simple, beautiful picture of what the church is and can be. Are we perfect at this? No. I, I don't know, honestly, if any church is perfect at it. I don't think so. No church is perfect at this or is ever going to be perfect at all of these things. But this is what I hope and pray at Easter is that we are striving to be. This kind of biblical church, this kind of church that loves the Lord and loves one another. And so I just want to end today by kind of asking, if, if you have been let down by the church, if you've been disappointed by the church, if you've been hurt by the church, and that comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes, a couple questions for you, just as you, as you maybe think about these things, okay? Um, and I may be talking, by the way, I may be talking to somebody, you know, that you're watching this message later or you're listening to this on a podcast. I'm speaking to the air right now. You're listening to this on the podcast later. This is not even today. Because maybe you're listening to this and you're not in church right now. But a, a, a couple questions. What responsibility do you have in solving the problem that you see? Do you have some responsibility? Is there something you can actually do to help? If you see some problems, if you see some holes in the church here or wherever you're at, what responsibility do you have? Have you talked with those who have hurt you or disappointed you or let you down? Have you talked with them face to face? Have you prayerfully considered how you might be part of the solution? Prayerfully, humbly considered not just gossip, not just slander, not just complaining, but actual prayerful consideration. Have I been humble in reflection about my next steps? What will I do next? Is my response biblical in keeping with the teachings of Christ and the apostles about love and peace and forgiveness? Forgiveness. And if you're thinking about Maybe you have been disappointed. Maybe you've been let down. Maybe you've been hurt. And you're thinking, you know what? Either I've left the church or I'm thinking about leaving the church because of these things. Here's a, here's a question. Are you willing to lose fellowship with God and his church because of your experience? Are you willing to do that? And the last question I would just ask is this. Do you understand that the church is made up of fallible people like me and like you? but it is still the bride of Christ. And so before we go around bashing the church, I don't think we should ever do that because before we do that, we need to understand, man, we're gonna stand before Jesus one day and we're gonna be accountable for what we did with his bride, the church. So do we understand that? As messed up as we all are sometimes, that this is still his bride and he loves his bride. He loves his church. So let's be people who show up here to make it better, to make it more beautiful, to serve and to love and to give. 
If you're not in church or you're not really part of the church because you've been hurt, my call today would just simply be come home. I want to talk to the camera right there. Come home. Maybe somebody shared this message with you and you need to hear this because you haven't been part of the fellowship of God's people. Come home. And I'm not talking about East Ridge. I'm talking about the church. Come back to Christ. Don't leave the church because of a church. Don't leave the people of God and the fellowship of God because of that hurt. Allow God to heal and allow God to restore and allow God to redeem. And maybe that's somebody in here even right now that you're still working through some wounds that you've experienced. And God redeems and God heals and God restores. Let's be church. Let's us be the church that can be part of that restoration and that healing for people because they need it. Some of you need it. So here's what I want to do this morning um, as we sing another song. I'm going to offer us a time of prayer. And two things really that I want to encourage you to pray about. One would be if you just want to pray that we would be that church. Let's pray that we would be the church that we see here in the book of Acts. A church that, man, just lifts up the word of God. A church that loves people well and serves and is a community, is a body, is a family. That kind of church. Or two, maybe this is something specific for you to pray about. I actually want to pray for those who have left the church. Let me ask you this question. Who's not here right now that you know that you wish was here? Let's pray for those people. Maybe they have reasons. Maybe they have good reasons for not being here. I don't know. You can call them prodigals. You can call them whatever you want, but they're family if they're in Christ, right? You never stop being family, so let's go after them. And let's pray that they would come home. So the altars are open. Listen, if you're on the prayer team, you want to come down and just pray with folks if anybody needs prayer this morning or if you just need prayer for anything else, please come on down. We'd love to pray with you today. Let's sing and let's pray together and that God would make us that church and that God would bring home those who need to come home to him who maybe have been hurt. Let's pray. God, I, um, I don't have answers to all of these problems all of these questions of why somebody has been hurt or what has happened or what disappointed them or whatever. But God, you know, you, I believe, have the answers to these things and you can restore those who have fallen away or run away on purpose. You can redeem and you can heal and I pray that you would. And I do pray, God, that we would be a church that would not be a stumbling block to anyone, but that we would be open doors, ready and willing to receive any and all comers and to show the grace and the mercy and, yes, the truth of God. That we would stand on the truth and live by the truth, but we would always do it in love, kindness, and compassion. That we'd be welcoming, that we'd be loving, that we would serve and meet each other's needs. God, let us be the church you've called us to be. And I pray that you would bring home those who have strayed away. In Jesus' name, amen.